Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 258. This week, we're talking with Anne Heinrichs about the difference that one relationship can make over time. Here I am, 20-some years later, still continuing to serve in Belize and serve in this village with this same church. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Welcome back to the Engaging Missions Show. Our goal is to equip, challenge, and inspire you and I do want to mention that this show is made possible by generous support from listeners like you, as well as our sponsor. I'll have a little bit more about that in just a minute. I want to say a quick welcome to Danny, Carl, Michaela, Martin, William, and Keegan, who all recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. If you'd like to connect with us there, that would be facebook.com slash engagingmissions. And if you're wondering, hey, can I get the links and the show notes delivered right to my email inbox? Well, you definitely can. Just visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. I would like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Megavoice. With nearly 800 million illiterate adults worldwide, believers are faced with a challenge. How can we empower people to engage with scripture if they're unable to read? Megavoice manufactures solar-powered audio Bibles in nearly 4,000 different languages and dialects so that non-literate people can access Scripture in their heart language. They're highly durable, secure, and completely customizable to fit your audience and location. Missionaries distributing these audio Bibles in Cambodia have reported that the loudspeaker on just one audio Bible allows an entire village to listen to the Scriptures together. From homeless outreach and refugee response to medical missions and trauma recovery, these audio Bibles allow ministries to maximize their impact. You can learn more by visiting megavoice.com slash engaging missions. And I do want to say thank you to Megavoice for helping support the show. That's megavoice.com slash engaging missions. This week, we're talking with Anne Heinrichs. She's the author of the book Just One and the U.S. Director of Adventive Cross-Cultural Initiative. She was a guest on the show back in March of 2016, and she's returning to talk with us a little bit more about her recent book. Your book, Just One. Why did you even write this book? Well, I'll give you a little bit of background. I'm kind of a behind-the-scenes person. I love learning how to serve in that place of encouragement and serving from behind and underneath people. And so my husband, knowing me very well, came to me and suggested Considering this story and sharing about my honest struggles and joys of this relationship with one person from another country that took place over time and how we kind of melted into one another's lives and how we eventually changed each other. And he just felt like this had a message of importance. So we kind of dug in and we started to work on just one together. He's an editor by profession. Mm. So the vision, the vision began to really unfold for us. 
And I went back into my journals and began pulling everything out from 1994 to 2009 and pulled everything I could find about this friendship with Isidoro Cancio. And with my husband's help and guidance, I began to write, uh, trusting the Lord, you know, for the outcome and, and really laying that before the Lord and just hoping that this story would touch hearts in some way and honor Concio's memory and glorify the Lord and not myself. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always you the know? challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. So we, so we kind of dove in, you know, and, I, and, and at times, you know, fear would really grip my heart and mm. I'd be, cause I'm not an author and a writer, but I had this wonderful resource and my husband, he's like, I'll coach you through it. We can get through this, you know? And so the Lord reminded me of a verse that we actually used in the book in John 14 that says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so that verse just really, you know, carried me through the process. So we wrote it as a missions memoir and as a meditation on friendship, just mm. sharing openly both the joys and challenges and the importance of the individual in the book. And the book really explores, you know, the concept and effectiveness of reaching out to one lost and seeking person at a time through personal relationships, one-on-one, face-to-face. And it covers kind of our interactions together and by getting involved and investing in each other's life story one by one rather than focusing on the masses, you know? Yeah. And that really became kind of a theme and a conviction that really carried us through the entire process. And I started to ask questions, you know, what does that look like? And how can this happen? And do I even have the patience for a long process in a relationship like this? If Jesus calls me to invest in one relationship for the kingdom's sake and for his glory, you know, am I okay with that? Hmm. And so all these questions the Lord started to use to challenge me through this friendship. It, it sounds like the writing process for you was maybe a, a bit of a stretch from what you've done before. <laughs> how, how much of that time did you spend uncomfortable with where you were? Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the th- well, thank you for taking the time. For those listening, I do want to say that I have read the book and I, I really enjoyed it. So this is kind of a delight to see behind the scenes. Uh-huh. And, and on a personal level, I'm of the opinion that we need more missionary memoirs out there mm-hmm. because Scripture mm-hmm. says that they defeated the, the dragon by the word of their testimony, the blood mm-hmm. of the lamb, and that they loved not their lives even to the death. And mm-hmm. I think, and this could be just my thinking, but I think that there's a little bit of a lack of those stories out there. So I, I, I want to see more of those. I'm intrigued, though, because writing a book is not a super fast process and wh- why would you why would you do this now? What what made now the important time to do this? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, it, it came alongside the years of short term missions that I've had the privilege to be a part of, and now I'm in my personal life. I'm kind of in that transition of going from leading teams to helping train leaders and coming alongside and mentoring in that way and field facilitating, you know, those kind of things, and basically introducing cross cultural missions to people in a short term context, hoping that the Lord will use those experiences to maybe pull them into long term mission, which is His business, but it's just you know an opportunity to do that. So. I started, it kind of was a from the inside out struggle of my own hmm. of seeing how much our North American influence and our upbringing affects how we, you know, approach relationships. And so that's kind of go, pulls us right into the message of the book. And 
two words that came to my heart were surrender and dependence. You know, we realized as we were working on the book that the message offers a message about what happens inside of me first, you know, mm-hmm. how it applies to our ability to serve and love others effectively in missions or out our front door and what he, where he's called us to serve and love. And so I started to enter into this comparison of, wow, seeing kind of the needs on my own team members and the struggle that was happening and how to build relationships cross-culturally right in front of my eyes. And then here was this example of what the Lord had done in my own life. And I just thought, I think I need to put this in writing. I thought, Luke is right. (laughs) (laughs) You need to make this available. So kind of what's around this too is I ended up creating a, we'll talk about this later, but I ended up creating a tool that's on my website that goes with the book for discussion for teams too. So, so interesting book. And I've, I've read the book of course, but I'm, you know, for, for those that haven't heard it, as we begin talking about this, it might be good to have a little bit of context for the story. Can, can you give us a, an overview of the story without giving it away? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd be glad to. So we, I met Cancio in 1994. And from 1994 until 2009, he suffered from an ongoing injury on his foot where the top of his foot basically had come off from a tree falling on his foot. And so my team leader, Jill at the time, basically taught me how to care for it and took me with to with her to meet him. And then she said, you know, someone's going to need to care for him over time. If you feel like the Lord's calling you to leading teams, here's how you do the bandages. Here's, you know, get some Tylenol, make sure every time you come, you bring Tylenol. And she just basically, without by the time I left his home the second time, I was trained in, you mm. know, in caring for this man's incredible painful injury and getting sandals made for him that didn't touch the wound, those kind of things. And so I was coming back and forth quite often, sometimes a few times a year, and would spend each morning early in the morning before the teams would wake up, I'd go and wash his foot and bandage his foot, pray for him and leave. And this just happened year after year, to be honest, like it wasn't a very complicated thing. And it was a very simple way to serve him and say hello to him. And then we would take teams in the afternoon and maybe sing a song or read a scripture. And that was kind of it until four or five, six years passed by. Then the conversation started to happen. Mm. And in repeating this year after year, I was wondering, am I being effective? Am I really helping? You know, and sometimes I leave him something, a a sprite on his doorstep or something like that. But eventually it did lead to his salvation experience and our sharing our life stories more and more and a true friendship happened, but it took a long time. And then the conversations changed to more about knowing Christ and, and reading scripture together. And he began to attend church and many others you know, began to invest in his life and bring him meals and take him to the clinic and to have his foot cleaned. And so there, it was, it was an amazing, you know, process. And there were definitely times you'll, you'll see in the book where I had pretty pressured moments and trying to understand, you know, our perceptions between, you know, our two cultures. And Mm -hmm. we even had some conflicts that we had to work through, but in the end, you know, he came to Jesus Mm -hmm. and, and that that verse in Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be mourning or crying or pain was kind of such a comfort to me when Concio did pass away, knowing that he was in the Lord's hands. Perfect. Yeah. And by the way, his foot was never healed. The Lord never 
chose to heal it in a way where he didn't suffer day every day from that foot. But I really believe it's the thing that took him deeper in his understanding of Christ's love and brought him to the Lord. Wow. Yeah. Th- thanks for sharing that. As you were <laughs> sharing that, you were reminding me of the thing that I noticed in the book as well, that at least at the beginning, there was nothing about that that looked glorious to me. And I'm hmm. wondering how often do we do do we miss out on being part of what God's doing because we lack the perseverance? Hmm. How, how have you, how, how has God worked that perseverance in your life? You know, for me in, in this case of what God taught me through, it was just a place of conviction. I never felt hmm. like I had to be his savior and it was all up to me. And if I didn't show up at his door, then what? It was actually more at the beginning I really need to go see Concio. I really need to see him. He's alone. And and it really was like the Lord Hmm. really put it in my heart and really placed it in my heart. And he reminded me of some experiences when I was a little girl that really shaped that thinking and also a love and respect for, for the elderly. And that came out of caring for my own grandmother and some other experiences that God used. And so all those kind of things just kind of blended into who he created me to be. And I couldn't resist it. And it was conviction that took (laughs) me there. (laughs) Does that make sense? It was just, yeah. 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 Bottom line. (laughs) Very interesting. And and as Mm -hmm. I read the book, you you mentioned you pulled from journals and that was pretty clear as I went through the book because you had a lot of stuff chronicled, but writing a book, I think is probably as much about what doesn't go in the book as what does. How did you choose what things were important and needed to be there? Yeah, that's a very great question. You know, I I prayed about it, to be honest. Mm. we It was a very prayerful, prayerful process. I mean, the Lord gave me these two words in prayer about surrender and dependence of where we need to be walking by faith, not by sight, and knowing that we need to be dependent on Him. Nothing is impossible with Him. If He's for us, who can be against us, mm-hmm. you know? The Lord started to prompt me more about this place of raw obedience and having a desire to simply share a story, honoring this older man's life and how through the story together and unexpectedly, we reshaped each other's other's thinking. And he taught me lessons about cross-cultural relationships that have forever changed me and how I approach, how I listen to others, slowing me down internally, trying to develop the habit of reflecting more on how Jesus approached relationships while serving on earth. You know, his conversations with the Father, listening and obedience and the outcome being for God's glory. And this all start was coming to my mind as I was as I was writing and realizing, wow, this is this is very important. So that began to take shape as well as we prayed through it and, and talked about that area. So this all began to, you know, obviously this relationship challenged how I view others while serving in other places, how I watch, how I listen, how I pray and respond. And it constantly, they became a fight against my own cultural bents. And that's what I started to see in my team members, you know, what I've grown up with and how it shaped my thinking and my conclusions and my responses to others. But it doesn't, it fits in my own context, but Mm. it doesn't fit someplace, other places that I go and in others' lives that I'm now interacting with in other places. So I had to choose to humble myself and allow a change of heart, of full surrender in this area, and allow the Lord to help me to learn to identify ineffective ways of my thinking and responding and shake them off and yield them, right? Mm -hmm. But preceding this, there had to be a change in my own heart. 
And so I had to humbly get to that point where I'd say, I'm wrong. I could really be wrong and, and stop and listen and ask the Lord to help reshape my thoughts on the spot, even before I speak and sustain my spirit, you know, in those moments. And so I began to practice this with teams and kind of saw this need. And the Lord kept reminding me about Concio, you know, and remember, Anne, when in this, and then I had like a little movie happen in my mind when you sat with him and, and you had this experience and that experience. And I was starting to bring team members into that process and trying to explain the beauty that we can have and discover in, in other lands by just stopping and allowing the Lord to peel off the cultural bents that we have and put on tools and, and ways of thinking and responding when we're with others. So it's kind of like that, you know, dying to self and starting over mm-hmm. in a conversation. It's very challenging. But I realized, I began to realize it has to happen at some level if I expect to connect to others in a way that I can introduce them to Jesus effectively. What were... What were some of those cultural things that you had to let go? Well, there's one example in the book, and it's interesting because I've had a few conversations about this example, where he asks me to go to the store and buy him some cigarettes. Mm. And I asked him what he needed. And I said, what do you need today? I called him uncle. What do you need today, uncle? And he said, I need some bread and I need a ciggy, he'd call it, you know, (laughs) and now, in an evangelical church setting and growing up, with, you know, smoking <laughs> yeah. cigarettes isn't something you promote. But the bottom line was, was it more important for me to build the relationship and buy him one or two cigarettes or offend him in a moment where there isn't understanding and clarity yet, right, and understanding and trying to bridge that relationship? So I went and bought him bread and I prayed walking to the store and I had this battle of all these tapes and messages running in my head about right and wrong, mm-hmm. walking all the way to the store. And by the time I got there, I had utter total peace to buy two cigarettes and bring those back to him, one to have now and one to have later, in order to continue conversation with him. And it was just, you know, we always use the phrase, not a hill worth dying on, but to me, it's deeper than that. It has to do with my own personal opinions getting in the way of building a relationship with this man who needed Jesus. Yeah. I, I, Does that uh, make sense? <laughs> yeah. And I remember that. And that's that among so many other things would have been challenges for me because of my upbringing as well. And it, it's mm-hmm. really intriguing how some of those things can, can form how we, how we interact. I, I mentioned to you before that I almost see this book as kind of the, the preamble or the backstory for what we talked about the last time you were on the show, because we talked about your work with ACCI and some of the things that you're going on with there. But reading this book, I'm reminded that it all started with a single trip, just one mm-hmm. trip. What, what was that trip like? Can you set the stage for us for that one first trip? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually quite a profound part of my life story in a way, because Here I am 20 some years later, still continuing to serve in Belize Mm. and serve in this village with this same church. So who'd have thought, you know, the Lord knew. (laughs) So what had happened in the early 90s was the embargo happened in Haiti that happened at that time. And so our mission team that I was supposed to be co-leading and I was in this position of being mentored as a short-term mission team leader, it was all new, new back then. And we were heading to Haiti and a month, five weeks out, we were told we couldn't go. Mm. 
And so I thought, well, what am I going to do? We have a team. We've raised the funds to serve. We have a plan. (laughs) We have a whole thing in place. (laughs) And so (laughs) what happened is our missions pastor sent a woman who had been doing some research to Belize, and she was a missionary in the Dominican Republic at the time. And the short version is, is that she had, Lord brought her to Belize. She ended up building this relationship with a dear pastor there who is now a dear friend for Luke and I. And, and she said, I think we could take a team there. And so we got on the plane and I, all the way up and here I am co-leading the team, you know, I, here we are, getting ready to go on the plane. And, and I wasn't even excited about it. I actually was still very frustrated. I was disappointed. So I was dealing with all my own feelings and before I got on, it, got on the plane and my team was struggling as well. So I'm not sure how great of a leader I was <laughs> at the time. But in all honesty, I was sad. You know, I was disappointed. And I remember the moment my feet touched the plane, the Lord started a work in me that was profound. And and all of a sudden, I I felt like something was up. You know, I had that sense that something's up. Obviously, God knows what he's doing. So I either need to get alongside this and be in agreement, or I'm going to be in a battle the whole time. So when we got to, I got in country and had to overnight and went through the whole experience of riding in the back of a pickup, sitting on our luggage, going (laughs) through muddy roads, you know, driving in the village. I remember the first walk in the village and how that felt and how that impacted me. It's in the book as well. And, and, and it, it just shifted, everything shifted. And I could feel the spiritual context of what was happening in that small village. And the Lord really did a work in my heart. So it was pretty precious because in the early 2000s, I was able to still go to Haiti with a college team and the Lord gave me back that dream. And until it happened, I didn't realize how much it meant to me, you know? Wow. Yeah. So that was precious. But I, and and, you know, what's really funny is I just sent an email to a friend's daughter supposed to head to Haiti and they're, they just pulled the plug on their trip Mm. uh, a couple of weeks ago due to the situation there now. And so I sent her this email and I told her this very thing. And I said, you just don't know in the economy of God's kingdom, what he is doing. And so that, that seemed to encourage her as well. (laughs) Yeah. That's, 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 uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. I, I don't think I remembered from the book, the, the comment about Haiti being such a big part of, mm-hmm. of your heart, even going forward. That's, that's really intriguing to, to me as I'm thinking about this particular trip, you, you mentioned that you weren't so happy that God transformed your heart. As you look back, how, how instrumental do you think that first trip is in beginning to form you into the person that you are now? Well, you know, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting question because to me it's one piece in the entire puzzle, but mm-hmm. it was the first piece, which is what I think you're saying. <laughs> it was definitely the first piece, the corner piece in that puzzle of how God layers our lives and and I feel like you know, I knew this in my head, but God really began to put it in my heart and in my spirit implanted in there about the the importance of obedience, that this moment of obedience leads me to the next moment of revelation. And then the next moment of obedience reveals the next moment of revelation. And what does it look like to live in that place? So on this missions trip, that really started to take shape for me. And that became a core value in my life in being preoccupied with obedience and not the outcome, but being willing to listen pray and obey and let the outcome be for God and his glory and not my own. And so 
that has been like a peel back <laughs> of many pages and many layers in my life that I believe was planted in that very first trip. Wow. Mm-hmm. When we were when we were chatting before the call, you you had also shared something that I think is kind of related to this, that you're, as a church leader, you're constantly asking yourself some questions that have come out of your years of experience going to Belize and some other things like that. Could you share with us the questions that you're constantly asking yourself? Sure. I think, I think the biggest thing that is impressed on me all the time by the Holy Spirit, and he keeps reminding me of as a child and dependent on the Lord, you know, and can be a straying sheep now and then, you know, in my actions and my days. And is that when the Lord puts us in any kind of a place of leadership, that there is a lot of influence in that, Mm. in that position. And, and I take that mantle of leadership very seriously before the Lord and with honor and with dependence as a privilege and not a right. And, And so I try to keep that accountability before the Lord because I realize that my words and actions give permission to others. And so every time I'm on a team, every time I'm visiting a missionary, every time I'm on a phone call, I really, the Lord keeps slowing me down and slowing me down to that listening process because I realize anything I say, anything I do is going to have influence on others. And I'm not going to be perfect and I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just saying from a place of, getting my agenda out of the way and really allowing Jesus to lead me as I lead others. And so I think that's really huge. And that's probably the crux of how I'd answer that question. Cause I just feel like everything kind of flows out of that, you know, yeah. that place of dependence on the Lord and leadership that's included. And it's really easy as an artist and a musician and a worship leader and a per- person of passion of culture and, and all those things inside of me to come up with a lot of really good ideas, <laughs> but not, not necessarily what the Lord might have in mind and how he wants me to point others toward actions and responses and, and learning. And so I really, as I get older, I'm more and more feel accountability before the Lord hmm. that, you know, I'm creating launching points in other people's lives by by how I lead them and what I say and do and gives them permission to respond certain ways. And so I'm always trying to peel that back and, and be sure that's coming from the right place and that it's okay to focus on one person at a time and make disciples everywhere we go, as we've been told and invited mm-hmm. to do, and do that one by one, even if it doesn't mean that we're, you know, the masses are coming to the Lord at, you know, in front of us, it's okay to take this one by one and give that permission to to my teammates as well and to others that I'm leading. You mentioned that sometimes God redirects you. You you have some good ideas, but they're not necessarily the right ones. I'm wondering, do you do you have any that you're able to and willing to share with us? I can put myself in the context of being in another country, having three people alongside me. And we're discussing how to solve a certain problem or or come up with a specific idea. It's really easy for me at that point to give them answers and the answers I think could be appropriate and not give them the the experience of the learning process of discovery in those moments. And that's a real big one for me is slow down and get out of the way. Let others have an opportunity to explore and hear from me, hear my voice, and and not have me as a leader 
be the loudest voice in their head, but yeah. give space for the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I don't do that well. Mm. I, I get in the way of the Holy Spirit and I get in the way of his work in someone else rather than allowing them to have their experience with the Lord in another culture. So I, that's an honest one. I've made that mistake a lot yeah. and learned from that. So mm-hmm. one that you brought up in the book that you got right, there was a time when Concio needed some roof work done. And I'm not, I'm not going to give away yeah. the story. So if you're listening, you got to read the book to get this story. But I'm just <laughs> going to say that I probably wouldn't have handled that situation as well as you did. So I, I appreciate that the cultural thing and also your desire to honor him as, mm-hmm. as a person, as a child of God, and the way that you approach that, I thought that was that was really great. As we begin to bring this to a close, I'm just wondering, for, for those listening, largely church leaders, church planters, missionaries, people that are involved already, how would you encourage them to continue walking forward? In the work of the Lord? Yeah. In general? You know... I'm a pretty simple person. I'm I'm not complex, and I've been that way since I was a little girl. And I think the Lord still speaks to me in those kind of precious ways through different examples and things that create a picture in my mind so that they're implanted. And you know, I really, I really love David's example. I have to be honest. That's really a core passion for me. And he lived this way. He lived in a way that challenges me to the core of staying in the process of listening to the Lord, praying, asking the Lord for help, seeking Him, listening, which is the part I skip over often, <laughs> and then and then being obedient. And I think yeah. we skip over the listening part and we run to the solution. And that beautiful flow of prayer, listening, and obedience and then the outcome is the Lord's prayer, listening, obedience, the outcome is His. It really applies to everything. And I feel like when I am not stopping and giving space to listen to the Lord, and I mean truly listen, I my leadership fails. Mm-hmm. My leadership gets weak. I get kinks in the armor. My hands you know, are empty. And I have those moments where I'm searching. And it's because I'm not doing that beautiful process that David gave us such a wonderful example of. And he was raw and so <laughs> honest before the Lord. He was always telling him what he already knew, you know. Yeah. <laughs> my warriors are around me. They're they're after me. And be my defender, be my shield. And you promised in your word, though, Lord. And mm-hmm. then he would move to worship, you know. I just love that pattern. So I think that's probably my the key thing I would pass along church leaders is to stay in that place because when we're not, that's when sin comes in. When we're not, that's when our feet get pulled out from under us and the enemy has space to breathe in his evil, <laughs> bottom yeah. line, you know, try to destroy us. With the book, are there any additional resources that go with it? What's the, what's the deal with that? Yeah, sure, there are. I, I actually, instead of putting this in the book, I put it on my website and that way I can update it as well. But I made a discussion tool for short-term teams that's designed to go along with the book and just to kind of pry at this issue of how to do one-on-one relationships in another culture and to discuss different examples from the book, but also to pull through that toward, you know, how do we how do we step into another culture and what does that look like? And and what is God, how do I recognize what God's doing in my life? And there are scriptures there as well. And then there's also a photo tour, a gallery that goes with the book that I've placed there 
as well. And then I have also resources. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there. I have a whole mission resource list that's exhaustive (laughs) that you can click on as well for other aspects of learning, training, and growing in, in missions. Good deal. And we'll make sure that we have that linked up in the show notes. So if you're listening right now, you can tap or swipe or click through however it is that you're going to get to the show notes so you can get access to those because we want to make sure that those are available for you. Last question, Anne, as we begin to wrap this up, how can we best pray for you? Oh, thank you so much. I think that the Lord, that I would continue to hear from the Lord, to continue Mm. to hear His voice and be obedient to His direction and to not walk in fear, but walk in faith and to lean into his heartbeat and, and know his ways, you know, from the word of God more than anything first. But yeah, just that the Lord would protect Luke and I as we serve together and protect our marriage and then empower us to do his will. Mm. So I would like to encourage you, if you're listening right now, to go ahead and pause the recording and pray now, because if you're like me, you're probably going to forget. You'll go to bed and think mm-hmm. I'm going to pray later. So <laughs> I'd ask you to do that now. Pray for Anne and for Luke and for their their marriage and the ministry. Check out the show notes, get the, get the links to the book and all of that other stuff. And I want to say one more time, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was such a joy to talk with you again, Brian, and thank you for allowing me to share today. Oh, my pleasure. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Anne Heinrichs for being with us today. And also I'd like to thank our sponsor, Mega Voice. If you or somebody you know is looking for a way to get durable audio Bibles into some of the more remote areas of the world, Mega Voice might be able to help. Stop by megavoice.com slash engagingmissions to learn more. Show notes for this week's episode are available at engagingmissions.com slash just one. That's J-U-S-T-O-N-E. Engagingmissions.com slash just one. That's where you're going to find ways to comment, to connect, and to share. Make sure that you come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to be hearing from David P. Jacob about how One Bible College is making missions a more organic part of their curriculum, and that's that's yielding some fruit. The best way to make sure that you don't miss that, if you haven't already, is to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you have a story of how you've been equipped or challenged or inspired through the Engaging Missions show, I'd love to hear from you. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. One more time, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate having you here, and I really hope that this show is making a difference in your life. I'll connect with you in a couple of weeks.